0: Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, Justin Trudeau and Joe Biden meet as Canada fights a proposed tax incentive That would apply to American-made electric vehicles. I highlighted over the course of these past two days in many many different conversations Canada's real concerns uh, about the impact it would have not just on the industry in Canada but on uh, the integrated uh, industry and workers on both sides of the border. Approval is expected today for Pfizer's COVID vaccine for children. We've been assured that supply
1: will be provided to provinces and territories by the federal government in the days following Health Canada's approval. It could take anywhere from a few days to perhaps a week before we receive doses.
0: And the federal government says it will help British Columbia rebuild after disastrous flooding. As the situation continues to evolve, we have much to do and much work to address the future needs of British Columbia. The government of Canada is committed to working tirelessly with our provincial authorities following the afterma- aftermath of these extreme weather events to rebuild and to, to help in the recovery and the restoration of critical infrastructure for these effective communities. It's Friday, November 19th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by Toronto Star National Columnist, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. So the prime minister is heading back to Canada today from his trip to Washington, and uh, and he spoke last night and, and talked about how he did press Joe Biden, the U.S. president, and other American officials on uh, what Canadians feel are protectionist measures around electric vehicles that are included in the new... Uh, legislation that the Biden administration has put forward, um, and he says he remains concerned. Uh, was was any progress achieved? What what do you think happened at this summit of the three North American leaders?
1: Well, on the electric vehicles tax credit, which actually could become law today, um, it could, well, no, not complete law, but it could pass the House today, um, and head over to the Senate, uh, there was clearly no uh, movement in the direction that Ottawa had hoped. Um, the, even before the meeting began, reporters are invited into what's called a pool spray. So they're brought into um, a room, and uh, they can take pictures of the leader, and they can scream out questions, and then the leaders can choose to answer them or not. And um, President Biden was asked about the EV tax credit, which... There's several parts to it, but basically um, it gives an extra $4,000 in tax credits to vehicles that are made in the U.S. by union plants, as well as an extra $500 for a battery that is made in the U.S. And Canada's argument is this contravenes the new NAFTA agreement, and this is disruptive to North America's supply chains when it comes to um car manufacturing, and also, frankly, it impedes Ottawa's ability to sell Canada as a place where electric vehicles should be made if American consumers won't be able to get uh, the same tax credit for cars that are assembled in Canada, for example, as opposed to cars assembled in the United States. Um, President Biden's answer to that question, I think it was from Bob Price over at the Globe and Mail, was basically, well, we don't know what the legislation is going to look like, so let's just wait till it becomes law, and then we'll talk about it. Hmm. Um, so obviously, if that's the president's uh, initial response, it's hard to see how Ottawa would get any movement. And sure enough, there was no movement on that. And in part, that's because um, this is kind of the the protectionist agenda that uh, the Democrats were brought to Washington to lead. Uh, you know, this, this measure in particular was promoted by the whip of the party in the House, um, who's uh, obviously a Democrat from Michigan and sponsored as well by another Democrat from Michigan in the Senate. And there is some controversy in the Senate. Um, one senator in particular, um, Joe Manchin, has raised concerns about the bill's price tag. It also includes this the Back better bill, includes things like family leave, uh, four weeks of family leave, which is kind of crazy, I think, from a Canadian perspective. She thinks the Americans never had this. Um, but he's concerned about, not that the cars will be made in the U.S., but that the cars, that the credits will only apply to uh, plants that are, that use union labor. And so even then, it seems like the criticisms that are being levied on the bill by Democrats themselves don't touch on Ottawa's concerns. And that was part of the full court press That we saw over the past two days in Washington, where every cabinet minister whose um, whose file portfolio kind of slightly touches on the U.S. was down to talk about those issues. So, um, you know, even the deputy prime minister uh, was there along with the foreign affairs minister. uh, So it, it was a big show, but perhaps we've come back with not much in hand.
0: Yeah. That's the way it seems for sure. All right, let's turn to an announcement that's coming today. And and the expectation is that that Health Canada is going to approve the Pfizer vaccine for children aged 5 to 11 in Canada, which obviously would be a milestone, a huge milestone. Um, Many Canadian families have been waiting for this uh the that that group of canadians it remains the the largest group of unvaccinated canadians at the moment so obviously it would be a big development to have a lot of children vaccinated uh so uh, what are you hearing about that announcement
1: well it would be a shock if it um it goes in the opposite direction right? yeah. <laughs> because they've been telegraphing this for the past week and frankly um it's expected because the u.s um, approved as the vaccine uh, more than a month ago uh, at the end of October. So the change that we are told is going to happen, basically they're going to approve it. Uh, they are negotiating with Pfizer at the moment. 2.9 million doses. Uh, could The deliveries could start as early as next week. Then, of course, it will be up to the provinces to um organized how the shots will be delivered in children's arms. Already the provinces, like I think of Ottawa, for example, in the city, um, you know, we've we've been told that three extra clinics will be set up so that um, children can get vaccinated and they'll have to wait in incredibly long lines. We already have problems with, you know, uh, organizing booster shots for um, those who are eligible because there aren't as many um, clinics as were available back in the summer when everybody was being vaccinated, so already the provinces are starting to plan, and municipalities as well. Um, as you mentioned, I think this will be seen with a huge sigh of relief by parents. Um, we know that the highest incident rates over the past several weeks have been in children under 10, um, and of course we've seen school closures, and we've. I mean, I don't have children myself, but uh, I know lots of parents who've had to pull their kids out of school and get tested for COVID because of case counts um, in the school and in particular classes. So um, I think uh, everybody's going to be relieved that we're having that in time for Christmas as well.
0: Yeah. And I know it's going to be interesting because there are... Um, lots of parents who have been vaccinated themselves, but are they're still uncomfortable with the idea, or not mm-hmm. fully comfortable with the idea of their children being vaccinated and they're worried about the risks. So I think the language around this announcement from Health Canada is going to be really important to see the level of reassurance they give parents about the safety of this vaccine. Yeah, that's
1: a good point. And I think it may explain why they were in a rush to get it approved as
0: well. Yeah. All right. Let's turn to the situation in British Columbia, Althea. A very dire situation for many residents there. Mm-hmm. Um, the the flooding that's been happening uh, is extraordinary, and the federal government says it is going to help. What what's been happening so far with with support from the federal government? What else is needed? Uh, what do you see happening in the in the days ahead?
1: Yeah. Yesterday we had a meeting with. Um, some of the ministers involved with this, obviously led by um, Bill Blair, the new Minister of Emergency Preparedness. Um, what we were told um, and what we saw started starting to arrive, actually, uh, last night on Thursday, 120 soldiers um, arrived in Abbotsford. Um, Anita Anand, the Defence Minister, said there were 350 soldiers from Edmonton who were ready to be deployed. On Wednesday, they did a reconnaissance mission to see exactly where the troops can go, uh, their goal is to basically, well, one, um, help evacuate people that still need to be evacuated, um, protect critical infrastructure, and start to um, help with restoring supply chains. Um, we're told they're going to be in BC for 30 days, possibly longer, and that there are thousands more uh, who are ready to deploy if they're needed. The government has reconvened the incident response group that was the special committee in charge of, um, you know, how to deal with a crisis. They have talked to us about basically a whole of government approach. So they're not, it's not just the defense department. We're talking about even, uh, departments and agencies like the Canadian food inspection agency that is working to ensure that there is feed for livestock. For example, that is um, delivered so that we can avoid what we've already started to see, which is thousands of farm animals dying. Um, so it's uh, it's not going to get any it's not going to get much better soon, though I think. Um, and we're already seeing that there's no rain on the way. Yeah. Uh, but at least you know uh, you do get the sense that everybody is consumed with this crisis, and everybody wants to make sure. I mean, and by everybody, I mean the federal government is really. Um, you know, there's no partisanship in this, which I think is really nice to see, too, as Bill Blair has been briefing Conservative MPs who mostly represent the bidings in that region who are severely affected. Um, and uh, everybody is trying to do whatever they can to make sure that people are not um, left in dire situations for very long.
0: All right. Yeah. Uh, fingers crossed that uh, some help in better weather is is on the way for the people of British Columbia. Althea, thank you so much for joining us today. Have a great weekend. Uh, Thank you very, very much, Mark. You as well. That's Toronto Star national columnist Althea Raj. I'm very disappointed in in the decline in the U.S. relationship, and it doesn't seem like the Prime Minister is taking all of our trade concerns seriously. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Toronto Star, Thomas Wacom argues Canada should respond to American protectionism with its own bi Canadian policy. Wacom writes, What is the use of a binding trade pact like the Canada-U.S.-Mexico agreement if one of the participants is free to ignore it whenever it wishes? Perhaps the answer is to borrow from America's playbook. Does the U.S. insist on Buy American policies? Fine. Then Canada should counter with a bi Canadian scheme. Perhaps the Americans will appreciate the agreement more if protectionism is allowed to thrive in Canada. In the National Post, Randall Denley argues Doug Ford would be wise to heed what's happening to Aaron O'Toole and Jason Kenney. Denley writes, O'Toole is getting criticism from conservatives who think he's drifted too far to the left. Jason Kenney is caught in a crossfire between those who find his COVID policies too harsh and those who don't find them harsh enough. That ought to be somewhat concerning for Doug Ford. He is better positioned because he leads a majority government that is less than seven months from a provincial election. The important question is how conservative voters will perceive the new Doug Ford, who has turned out to be rather different than the one they thought they were electing in 2018. In the National Observer, Max Fawcett considers Scott Moe's push for Saskatchewan nationhood. Fawcett writes... Moe insists his claim to nationhood doesn't mean Saskatchewan actually wants to secede. Like Jason Kenney, he's only using the language of independence to extract concessions from Ottawa. And like Kenney, he's pretending the rest of Canada is going to be forced to respect his province's show of strength. One wonders why he wants to run the same production as Kenney, who's the least popular premier in Canada and is facing both a challenge from within and the prospect of political annihilation at the polls in 2023. Now here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. The Prime Minister will return to Ottawa following his trip to Washington. Emergency Preparedness Minister Bill Blair, Defence Minister Anita Anand, Transport Minister Omar al gabra and Natural Resources Minister Jonathan Wilkinson will speak with the media about the situation in British Columbia. Federal ministers will make announcements regarding COVID-19 and border measures. And Veterans Affairs Minister Lawrence McCauley will award commendations during a ceremony in St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, November 19th. Tune in to Primetime Politics Weekend on CPAC. For coverage of all the week's events, our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend.